to everybody. Isn't it great to be together today? You know, even uh, when it was snowing the other night, I still think, you know, uh, as though, even though we may not like to have to deal with the difficulties that snow presents on the streets and on the sidewalks and the roads and all of that, and, and especially if your car is sitting out in it and then got to scrape off or brush off and then scrape off ice and everything, it's still beautiful, isn't it? God is the master decorator, I'll tell you. We can look at it from that positive perspective. Even those particular situations we can look at and see as a blessing. It's wonderful to be together. It's wonderful that we can come together and study God's word and that we can worship him in the ways that the scriptures instruct us to do every first day of the week. Thankful you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're thankful for you in an extra special way because you're visiting with us. We pray that your time with us will be encouraging and uplifting spiritually for you. You're already a blessing to us, and we pray that your time here will be a blessing for you. And if you have any questions about anything you see us do or say, please do ask us. We keep emphasizing we just want to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so we do hope that you'll be able to come back over and over and be with us and study God, study with us and worship God with us and grow spiritually with us on an ongoing basis. If you have the outline in your bulletins, you know that the sermon today is entitled Truth or Compromise? Truth or Compromise? Well, it is said that compromise is the art of diplomacy. It, it is the willingness to give up something in order to get something. And under the right circumstances, compromise can be valid, even necessary. I thought it was uh, rather intriguing and a little bit humorous even when I heard one, heard one fellow say one time, compromise is the art of letting you have my way. You think about that. Well, in the political realm, it would be difficult to accomplish much of anything without compromise on the part of politicians to some degree. And compromise is certainly necessary at times within relationships, even including within the marriage relationship. If husbands and wives could not compromise over their particular opinions, they would not have a good marriage. It would not last well. There would be all kinds of rocks. They would rocky ways along the way, and they would have difficulty getting along and maybe even staying together. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Compromise in marriage. Well, what color are you going to paint the walls? Should we get a new car this year or next year? Should we move to this house or not? You can understand different things. And so the husband and wife were skillful in communication and in building their relationships. They'll recognize that there are times when compromise is appropriate and even healthy. But and here's where we want to really focus on the title and the thrust of the lesson today. When truth is compromised, there's a problem. Nothing wrong with compromising under the right circumstances, but a fundamental problem arises when an attempt to, is made to compromise truth. Because you see, when truth is compromised, it no longer remains fully the truth. 
there may be some elements of truth within it, but as far as looking at it as a basic statement of something, it's no longer fully the truth. Let me give you an example. I remember when I was just a little kid, somebody was kind of getting across the idea that in some, through some kind of fallacious reasoning, I believe, we could come up with a final conclusion through a compromise, I guess, that two plus two does not necessarily equal four all the time. Now that's absolutely absurd. Two plus two cannot ever equal anything but four and still be the truth. You cannot change things to suit yourself and say, but it's still the truth. Once you compromise truth, it is no longer fully the truth. And you might say, when you really speak about it from an analytical perspective, you might say it is no longer the truth at all. Because you have compromised the basic tenet of whatever it is that you're talking about. Now nowhere is this danger more pronounced. Nowhere does it bear greater potential consequences than in the area of God's spiritual truth. We cannot compromise God's spiritual truth and have it still be God's truth. Now since Jesus said the truth shall make you free, in John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, then we need to make sure that we know what that truth is in order to be able to benefit from its power to make us free. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, In him you also trusted. Do you trust people who tell you lies? Do you trust people who compromise truth? Do you trust people who just speak in shades of truth? Or do you trust people who are outright truthful with you on a regular, consistent basis? Do you say, I know whatever they're telling me, it's the truth. As best they understand it, at least, it's the truth. And I can have confidence in their word. Well, Paul says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. This book is the word of truth because it is God's book. God's word of truth. You remember on the night of his betrayal, Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17 and verse 17. We have it recorded, that particular point in his prayer. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We can always trust God's word to be truth. Truthful. Always the truth because it is God's word. Now, God's word cannot be compromised and still be his truth. We look at a number of passages of scripture that basically go through the entire Bible and they keep emphasizing this particular point. Deuteronomy chapter four and verse two, you shall not add to the word which I command you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Do not add to God's word. Do not take from God's word. Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
God's word here speaking to us, or to the, to the Israelites at that time. But the principle is what we want to turn, what we want to gain from it. So that you may observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not, and notice the, the very descriptive language here, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. In other words, don't get off the pathway of truth. It might conjure up in our minds or remind us what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, when he talked about that narrow path, that straight gate, that narrow way which leads to life, and few there be who find it, he says, and he compared it to that broad way that leads to destruction, and many there are who go down that particular pathway through life. And the reason, I think we can understand why that way toward heaven is straight and narrow is because it's the way of truth. And truth is narrow. Truth is narrow. Truth is not open to compromise and still remain being truth. We have to recognize that it has a particular characteristic, and so the scriptures repeatedly tell us, do not tamper with God's truth. We go a little bit further, and we look at Proverbs 30 and verse 6. And here the wise man, Solomon, wrote, Do not add to his words, lest you, he rebuke you and you be, find, be found a liar. Revelation 22 and verses 18 and 19, the familiar text. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall add to him uh, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I remember studying with a couple of young men one time, a great many years ago, and they said, well, yeah, that applies to that particular book from God's word, the book of Revelation. Well, what about all these others? What about Deuteronomy? What about Joshua? What about Proverbs? What about Revelation? And we could get the same basic message in principle from numerous other passages of scripture. You see, they're throughout the Bible. God's word is God's word. No matter which one of the particular books within his word you're reading, it's God's word. He does not want us to change it at all. We are not to compromise the truth of God's word. The truth of the gospel is not open to compromise. We look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Now this is written to the churches of Galatia. And Paul is writing to them, and he's marveling that they have, so soon after they had become Christians, been confused as to the truth that they had been taught. He says, beginning with verse 6, I marvel that you are, so, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the gospel of Christ, or in the grace of Christ, to a different gospel, to a different gospel. And then he says, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now Paul is saying, changing the gospel distorts it, perverts it. Now that's a pretty strong and descriptive word, perverting the gospel. And so he says, you change it, you're distorting it, you're perverting it. In other words, it is no longer the true gospel. Now someone might say, well, it still talks about Jesus. And I believe in Jesus. 
but there's the message that Jesus brought that goes with believing in him. And so when you start changing any part of the rest of that message, it's no longer the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We look at verses 8 and 9, and you talk about judgment pronounced by the inspired writer, the apostle Paul, upon those who would change the gospel message. He says, even if we were an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, I don't think he was really contemplating that an angel from heaven might come down and preach a different gospel than that that God has had recorded by the inspired writers within the Bible. But he was using, he was using a hypothetical possibility or, 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 or supposition. Even if an angel came, you don't listen to that, to that angel. If he comes and preaches any other gospel, he, let him be accursed. You don't pay any attention to it. You don't follow what he's saying. Then he comes down and gets real because he comes to mankind. And he says, as we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And therein is the danger of the false teachers coming and going and changing things along the way over and over and over and over again, not being content to simply stay true to the truth of God's word. We look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we read seven basic points of Christianity, of Christian doctrine that cannot be compromised. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, Reading down through verse 6, the Apostle Paul says there is one body, one body. And when he says there is one body, that means that that's, there's only one of those. That is acceptable, that is true in God's eyes, according to his word. And one spirit, just as you are called in one hope, one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Not a variety, not open to private interpretation, not open to different analysis and coming up with different conclusions that contradict one another. He said one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And that's it. Now, those points of truth cannot be compromised. They cannot be changed in any, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. When we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, now this is the same letter in which Paul said there is one body. He identified what that body is, what he meant by one body. He's not talking about the physical body. He says he put all things under his feet. That is, God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him Christ to be head over all things to the church which is his body. So Paul identifies the church as being the body of Christ and there in chapter 4 and verse 4 he says there is only one body or one true church of Christ. Church that belongs to Christ. Someone might say, what are you talking about? You mean you think your church is the only one that's, that is true in God's eyes? I'm simply saying what God inspired the apostle Paul to write. 
Yes, one true body of Christ, one true church. We need to be that church. Whoever we are, we say, I believe in Jesus. We need to make sure we conform to his teachings to be that one true church, wherever we are. And if we're a part of a church that does not go along with, that compromises the truth of God's word, we need to find the church that stays true to God's word. One body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, the apostle Paul wrote to another congregation along this line, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, He's using the physical human body as an example here, an illustration. And then he gets to his point. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We know what that body is. Cannot be compromised. There are no saved souls outside of that one body. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord, the Lord himself, added to the church, the church daily, those who were being saved. We need to pay attention to what the scriptures say. Again, the second point of basic Christian doctrine. There is only one spirit, Paul says, in Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 6. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 tells us, for, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body and have all been made to drink into one spirit. There are not a whole lot of Holy Spirits out there. One spirit, one Holy Spirit. There's also only one hope for our, uh, hope for our calling to salvation. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is our only Savior, the only Savior. Now, not just if I accept him and believe in him and I feel good about what Jesus said. He is mankind's only Savior. There is no other. Jesus brought the gospel message of salvation from the throne room in heaven to this earth, to humanity, through all generations. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1 and verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Jesus, Jesus brought us that one calling which is the hope of our salvation, to come to him. And how is it that we are called to come to him? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Oh, belief in the truth again. That's key. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one hope of our calling, that is through Jesus Christ, through the gospel message of salvation that he brought to this earth that is to be communicated to all mankind all over the world in every generation. 
And there is only one true Lord and Savior. One true Lord and Savior. He brought that gospel message that one hope of our hope of our, the calling, our calling to come to him through the gospel for salvation, and he is the only Savior. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, we remember John chapter 8 and verse 24, he spoke very directly when he said, I said, therefore, that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, that I am he, that I am the Savior, the Son of God, the Lord, you will die in your sins, he said. And then in John 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we can try to compromise from a perspective of human reasoning all we want to and say, well, what about all those people who don't believe in Jesus? What about all those people who believe in other religious persuasions? Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Doesn't matter what part of the world we live in, doesn't matter how we've been brought up by mom and daddy, it doesn't matter what religious group we have always be belonged to, there is no other Savior than Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter and the apostles made that statement, speaking of Jesus in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, nor is there any, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He was speaking to people who did not believe in Jesus. They believed in God, but they did not believe in Jesus. He said, you're, you're missing it. There is only one Savior. There's only one way to God for forgiveness and salvation. That is through the one Savior, Jesus Christ. There is only one faith, we read in Ephesians 4 and verse 6, verses 4 through 6. In Philippians 1 and verse 27, Paul wrote, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That gospel message is the center of our faith. God's word is the basis for our faith. That's where we come to understand what true faith is. Saving faith. The faith that God wants us to have. It's interesting that Jude wrote, only one chapter in that short letter from Jude, and he wrote in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, once for all says there's no more <laughs> additions coming to the faith. That basic body of doctrinal teaching that makes up, that teaches us about Christianity and leads us to salvation and faithful living before our God. One body of doctrinal teachings on which Christian faith is based. And again, where do we go to get that? Romans 10 and verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word is truth and truth is straight and narrow. One faith, and there is only one true baptism. 
Well, what about all those churches that sprinkle for baptism or pour or rub some water on a baby's forehead? One true baptism. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4 in verse, verses 4 through 6. There is one baptism. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when Peter and the rest of the apostles were asked on Pentecost, what shall we do? They'd had the gospel preached to them. What shall we do? Peter responded and said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the remission of sins. In Acts 22 and verse 16, that is exactly what Ananias sent by the, our Lord himself to teach Saul of Tarsus what he told Saul. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Acts 22 and verse 16. And it is not incidental, but it is that through that particular act of surrender and obedience that we come into Christ and are saved. Jesus told the apostles, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature or to all creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Now, a whole lot of people out there saying you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Jesus said he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Well, they say it doesn't say he who is not baptized will be condemned. It's the principle, the literary principle of synecdoche. The part stands for the whole. If a person has to believe and be baptized, if he does not believe, he's certainly not going to be baptized. The one goes with the other naturally. They're connected together. In fact, there's a coordinating conjunction who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Without the one, the other falls by the wayside naturally, automatically. In Galatians 3 and verse 27, as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so it is in baptism that our sins are forgiven. It is in baptism that we come to salvation in Christ. It is in baptism that we put on Christ, that we come into him. It's like he becomes a part of us and we become a part of him. There is only one true baptism. The word means plunge, dip, submerge, bury. And so it is immersion in water at which point my sins are forgiven by the blood that Christ shed on the cross and I come into Christ where salvation is found. Oh, how much we need to simply pay attention to the truth of God's word. And then finally, in Ephesians 4 and verse, verses 4 through 6, Paul says there is only one God and Father of all. There is one true God, the creator of the universe, the world, and all life, including mankind. The very first verse in the scriptures, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was there. God is there. In Malachi 2 and verse 10, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Mark 12 and verse 32, so the scribes said to Jesus, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, 
and there is no other but he. Romans 3, beginning with verse 29. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Now, most of the Gentiles in that day did not believe in God. Most of them probably did not even know about God. That did not change the fact, did not change the truth that he is God, the only God. And so, yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the, and the circumcised by faith and the un uncircumcised through faith. One God. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. A statue, an image, a carving. It's nothing but whatever that is made out of. It's not God. It's not, it's not deity. It has no life to it. And that there is no other God but one. One God. In Galatians 3 and verse 20. Now a mediator does not mediate for, the, for, for one only, but God is one. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There can be no compromising on these basic points of Christian doctrine. We need to understand them, we need to embrace them, we need to live by them, including where we need to be obedient to their teachings. Truth or compromise? We want to have things so often our way, and so we'll try to compromise in our minds truth. Well, again, when you do that, it no longer stays to be truth because it's changed, it's changed. When the doctrinal teachings of God's word are compromised, they cease to be the truth communicated by God through his word. Now remember, he's not sending us any new doctrine by revelation. Remember what Jude wrote in, in verse three of Jude's one chapter long letter. The faith which has once for all been delivered no new truth along this line coming. Truth or compromise. To be made free from the condemnation of sin, we must simply accept God's truth. We must simply obey God's true teachings as he has communicated to us through his word of truth. Remember what Paul encouraged Timothy? And really the instruction is to all of us. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, God's word. God's word cannot be compromised and still be God's truth. Cannot be done. That is a principle that is hard and fast. Truth is truth. And when you change the truth, it is no longer the truth. If you need to come to God for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, for salvation to be reborn, as Jesus told Nicodemus must happen in John 3, verses 3 through 5, you can be forgiven of your sins, as we've read, Acts 2 and verse 38, Acts 22 and verse 16, through the one baptism into the one Savior. And the one God of grace will bless you with forgiveness and salvation. Promise give you the promise of eternal life as you live before him in continued 
respect for and obedience true to the truth of his word. We'd like to help you with that. We'd be glad to study with you if you'll ask us right from God's word of truth. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, we're here to pray with you and for you if you'll step forward and ask us or let us know privately. But we encourage you. We want to help you as you're baptized by the one true baptism, immersed in the water for the remission of your sins, reborn spiritually. We want to help you get to that point. We want to help you get to heaven. God's word of truth was given to us to guide us to eternal life in heaven. If you need to come, don't try to compromise the truth in your own mind and don't accept compromised truth from anybody else. Accept, respect, and obey God's word of truth. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.